0: So did you have any of the Secret Wars action figures back in the 80s?
1: Uh, no, actually. The ones where I really sort of came in on were the uh, the Toy Biz ones from the the early 90s. Like there was the X-Men
0: series. Oh, uh, yeah. Were you a, a Secret Wars collector? That was actually really my first introduction to any Marvel superheroes aside from Spider-Man, who I already knew, and probably the Hulk. Um, but yeah, I had like the pretty much most of the line uh captain america and magneto and all these characters i never heard of but uh they came with these every character came with these like plastic shields with some kind of decoder type thing on it yeah i read about that and just as uh as kid i got i think it might have been captain america or, or somebody but so i had one of these characters with the shield and i was playing with the character one day in the the shield went into like fell into our tall kitchen garbage and my mother must have seen the look of just complete disappointment on my face and i don't know how she did this but she like put on must have been dish gloves or something and like dug through this full garbage can to find this little tiny <laughs> plastic piece of crap uh-huh. and it's for me that's like the illustration of why i can't be a parent <laughs> it's like i could never care that much to yeah do that.
1: yeah I, I could see being like maybe maybe we buy another captain america
0: <laughs> yeah
1: that yeah. is a, that is a mother's love
0: Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zydock. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a closer look at some notoriously and allegedly terrible comics and comic runs. Today, uh, we're going to be discussing the first four issues of 1985's Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars 2. Written by Jim Shooter, with pencils by Al Milgram, inks by Steve Lyaloa, and colors by Christy Scheel. Uh, this is one of the f-
1: earliest mega crossovers in comic books where there is like a monthly mini-series running and individual issues of regular series tie-in. Uh, fans of a certain vintage will remember fondly, or not so fondly, a little like Nabisco-style triangle in the upper upper right corner of issues proclaiming Secret Wars 2 continues in this issue. Um, that said, for the purposes of this episode, we won't be covering any of the 30-some tie-ins just to keep us from going insane. Um, If you do want a more detailed look at individual issues in the crossover, I recommend checking out the Pulp 2 Pixel podcast. That's the number two. There are Secret Wars and Beyond episodes on Secret Wars 2.
0: And also, if you did happen to listen to last episode where we talked about Warriors of Plasm, uh, you may have noticed that this is also a title by Jim Shooter, uh, the writer of Orders of Plasm, and we generally try to avoid beating up on creators here Um, and we both have a lot of praise for what Jim Shooter has done, both as an editor and a writer Um, it just happens that we were were planning to do Secret Wars 2, and uh, at least I didn't really make the connection until we were already kind of headed in this direction so we are you know not doing this intentionally
1: actually i have often on discussions on the internet i have found myself in the position of being the comparatively pro shooter person in the argument Like it's like of all the mm-hmm. people like writing and talking about comics on the internet i would think that i'm in the top 50th percentile for positivity so we are just <laughs> uh so, okay. sorry sorry jim i guess is what we're saying but
0: yeah, I think we're, uh, our bases are covered now. <laughs> but getting into the story, uh, so the original Secret Wars started off in the way that all great comic stories do, which is trying to sell action figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to Sean Howe's Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, which uh, we mentioned a couple times on this show just because it's a great book, you should read it. Uh, when... The toy manufacturer Mattel lost out of rights to produce action figures based on DC characters. It decided to set its sights on Marvel characters. Uh, At this time, Mattel was kind of calling the shots, so they required Marvel to have a crossover comic event that would tie in with the action figure line. And... Mattel had done some research and found out that two words that kids got really excited about were secret and war. So both the toys and the series ended up going with the title Secret Wars.
1: And to be fair, they are absolutely correct that Secret Wars is a totally boss title, even if it doesn't really mm-hmm. mean anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, we should have just called the podcast Secret, secret Wars. Wars. <laughs> um, missed opportunity, but... <laughs> The editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time was the aforementioned Jim Shooter. If you uh, heard a previous episode, you know you get a full rundown on Jim Shooter, who he is, his importance to Marvel history. Uh, but for the purposes of this app, the short version is that Shooter was the editor-in-chief of Marvel pretty much throughout the 80s and started... Uh, originally as a comics writer at the age of 14 and worked his way up through the ranks of Marvel. And as we noted, he was much more interested in the business side of things than several of the previous Marvel editors-in-chief, but he also was strongly committed to his own ideas of what made a compelling comic story. And before Secret Wars, Shooter had this idea floating around for something called Cosmic Champions, which would be a major, major crossover event that brought in all of the major Marvel characters, and he was planning to put himself in charge of writing it. So the deal with Mattel was the perfect opportunity for him to take this Cosmic Champions idea and launch it as Marvel's Secret Wars. And this was the first huge Marvel crossover, um, sort of the the comics precursor to Something like Avengers Endgame, where you just have countless huge characters uh, all interacting. Um, So the first uh, Secret Wars series came out in 84 to 85. And most of, or I should say many of Marvel's popular and major heroes and villains get teleported mysteriously to to an alien planet. And they are encouraged by some kind of mysterious cosmic being to fight each other.
1: Uh, sort of the, the neat gimmick about how the series was set up is that the uh, regular series that all the heroes were in, um, at the end of like the month before Secret Wars 1 came out, they all went into this like transportation device and vanished. And then the next month when they came back and everybody was changed. Spider-Man had a new black costume. She-Hulk had replaced the Thing in the Fantastic Four. And so the idea was that, like, there's been, like, this implied time skip here, and you have to go read Secret Wars to find out where did Spider-Man get the costume, where the thing, and so on.
0: Yeah, it must must have been pretty cool reading it at the time. I I kind of wish I'd been able to experience that.
1: Yeah, everything, you know about everything today, like, so far before it happens, you can't imagine, like, going to the, you know, going to the stand and being like, why does Spider-Man have a black costume?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we, or the readers, would soon find out that the guy behind us is a mysterious cosmic being known as the Beyonder, um, and he's interested in learning about humanity. But basically, it was pretty much a series of fight scenes between Marvel's biggest villains and heroes without much in the way of emotional impact or nuance, um, according to many of the critics and and fans um in in sean howe's book jim shooter is quoted as later saying the comic was simply a way to quote teach the kids how to play with the toys Um, however at the time it was a huge financial success at least on the comic side of things the toy line apparently tanked and is basically only fondly remembered by aging millennials like yours truly. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I can be fairly self-indulgent when it comes to nostalgia. Partially, you will see that in my rapturously talking about 80s Marvel in this episode. But I can definitely say that superhero action figures were not better when we were kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, and now they're bringing back like the the retro versions with the old body molds yeah. of the the figures and you're like... They don't even look remotely human. But.
1: Yeah, my uh, the the Wolverine figure that I had came with a a mask that went on and off, and I distinctly remember thinking that he looks like Michael Richards.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Interesting casting.
0: Yeah. But despite the problem with the toys, the comics themselves were best sellers, and this was even though there were huge delays due to Shooter missing deadlines. Now, it's pretty reasonable to assume that the comics were a huge success because they were promoted heavily for months ahead of time. And also because it had all the readers favorite characters, but at the time Jim shooter started to think that the comic had succeeded because of his writing or even uh, maybe mostly because of his writing. And so this is around the time that he started to think of himself as uh, very highly as a writer, uh, as we, talked about a little bit last episode and so he started giving more and more editorial notes to veteran writers occasionally occasionally would tell them to quote see secret wars for how to do this right when they made a choice he didn't agree with and as you might imagine this started building up more and more resentment towards shooter among marvel creators Um, basically most of them Also thought it was a uh, cash grab and didn't really respect it. And we could probably go off on our own feelings about Secret Wars 1. Um, I I think we'd probably both have pretty good things to say about aspects of it. Um, But of course, being a success, a sequel was in the offing. And apparently Shooter originally said he wasn't going to write it. He didn't want to write it. But then a year later... He decided that he was the only one who could do it.
1: And I think that's true that only Jim Shooter could have written Secret Wars 2. (laughs) So uh, before we start in with issue one, just a heads up, uh, Secret Wars 2 is really almost paralyzingly steeped in Marvel continuity of the time. Um, This is my favorite era of Marvel Comics, so I should hopefully be able to catch you up um, as we go, just sort of here and there. But if there's something that seems really left field, that's probably because it is, and I suggest that you just roll with it. So, we open in space. From the perspective of an unknown character, and spoiler alert, it's the Beyonder, uh, we see him enter our universe from whatever realm that he is from. Uh, He finds the Earth and crash lands in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. Owen Reese and his girlfriend Marsha hear the impact, but go back to watching TV. Uh, Owen is the former supervillain known as the Molecule Man, who dates back to the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby Fantastic Four. Uh, he has the power of complete molecular control over matter. Since his earlier ver- villain days, he sort of chilled out and had decided to live a simple domestic life with another uh, one-time villain named Volcana, who got her fire-based powers and met Owen during the first Secret Wars. And kind of the joke here throughout the series is that uh, Owen and Volcana are sort of leading a very exceedingly mundane sort of lower middle class existence, calling each other, you know, sweetums and snookums and babykins and watching reruns on the couch while eating barbecue chips and Doritos. Uh, Molecule Man talks about how much he likes Hogan's Heroes and repeats Colonel Klink's catchphrase.
0: So I imagine that he's exhausting to watch Rick and Morty with. Kind of like how they're just chilling out and when when um beyond it appears to them um, I did think as somebody who's like ideal weekend or evening at this age is <laughs> probably hanging out with my wife watching TV yeah that I should be offended by this kind of <laughs> uh satire I guess but maybe I'm just like too bourgeoisie to get riled up about it now i don't know yeah
1: but jim shooters put you on notice
0: yeah i I really need to look in the mirror after this uh
1: so the picture on their tv is all screwed up so they look outside and there's rocks and boulders flying through the air volcana destroys some of them with her fire powers but also it sets the house on fire so one of the things that we sort of talked about is that jim shooter was all about like maximum clarity and storytelling so he falls into some old-fashioned fa- comic storytelling pitfalls of describing things that you can already see in the art. Like at one point, because the house is on fire, Molecule Man uses his powers to like reshape the water faucets from the kitchen so that they extinguish the flames. And Volcana says, Oh, isn't my little babykins clever? Stretching out the kitchen faucets into little fire hoses, which you can already plainly see.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned uh, how he has like s- certain preferences in terms of composition of of panels to for maximum clarity and i think we get a lot of those kind of medium shots that you're referring to mm-hmm. as well uh nothing really too interesting from that standpoint
1: yeah molecule man and volcano step outside to fairly calmly examine this bizarre gravitational mystery it'll be a recurring theme of very unusual and bizarre things happening that people are just sort of like huh is that ever weird but then uh, Owen sees someone and recognizes who was responsible for the, for the chaos. Uh, cut to Muir Island, Scotland, uh, where Professor Xavier of the X-Men wakes up screaming, The Beyonder! Which I already told you. Uh, he's recuperating from recent non-specific injuries that you would know about if you read X-Men and New Mutants at the time, but are not important right now. Um, and He's there with Moira McTaggart, uh, his son Legion, and the New Mutants. Uh, he passes out again, but not before sending out a psychic alert. And this psychic alert is picked up by Captain America, presumably because he's in a on a plane in flight from London back to the U.S. And I'm not sure why he was in London, but that's probably also in their most recent Captain America. Um, the passengers are all wondering why he's writing commercial, and this is not really answered for us either. <laughs> I think he's a man of the people. So yes. Yeah. So the uh, the passengers are commenting. Uh, And here's some direct quotes. He's a living legend, man. My dad says he was really something back in World War II. Someone else says, he looks so young. Another person says, I heard he was frozen in ice for years. Someone says, like, Walt Disney is? So I guess this is some clumsy exposition to explain who Captain America is for, I guess, new readers. But you would think that people in the Marvel Universe would sort of already basically know what Cap's deal is at this point. You know, like, it's a matter of public record. Like, I don't think it's a secret that, like, Captain America was in world war two and was frozen. And I think this is sort of common knowledge. It's like, but they treat it like it's rumors mm-hmm. and hearsay. Like if you'd said like, look, is, is that Bill Gates? He seems to have a lot of money. And someone else says, I hear he was the founder of a company called Microsoft.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a good amount of that kind of exposition in this story where it's like delivered in not the most elegant way. Mm-hmm.
1: So the, uh, Captain America gets this this alert, and he's fought the Beyonder before in the first Secret Wars, so uh, he knows that this is serious. So he gets the pilot to change course to respond to the alert. Um, the pilot gives him the old "anything for you, Cap, you saved my platoon back in World War II" speech that I think was already sort of stretching plausibility in 1985 that this like commercial airline pilot would have been, you know, 60s, yeah. So
0: yeah, I, I did the math too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. yeah, so Cap thinks back to the Beyonder and gives us a little summary of the first Secret Wars. Um, Like we said, it's a cosmic entity, abducts all the superheroes and supervillains. Um, How it ends is that Doctor Doom steals the Beyonder's power, uh, but the heroes are able to sort of get him to falter just enough for the Beyonder to reclaim his power. The Beyonder, I guess, counts as a win for the superheroes, and he
0: sends them all home. And if you weren't paying attention to the summary this time, don't worry, because they're (laughs) going to recap it uh, the first Secret Wars story in a couple of issues. Um, and it almost feels like Jim Shooter is just occasionally reminding us of how awesome the first Secret Wars was.
1: <laughs> so, after giving us the full summary, uh, Captain wonders what this inscrutable being could possibly want now. Uh, we find back at Owen and Marsha's house, Marsha is Volcana, uh, that the Beyonder has assumed the form of sort of a mashup superhero with like parts of iron man's armor and cyclops visor and doom's mask um do you remember there was a ad for combos in the 90s where there was like a combos man that was like little bits and pieces of like different superheroes like marvel superheroes put together
0: yes yeah, so i actually that just appeared on my instagram feed a couple <laughs> days ago
1: yeah this he's he's basically the the version 1.0 of combo man here the Beyonder says that he wants to, quote-unquote, understand, Owen tells him to go out and get experience, which is the best teacher. Marsh is just chilling watching Beverly Hillbillies. And, again, like, they're really not making a big deal about giving advice to this cosmic godlike being hanging around. I mean, I know that they are, like, su- former supervillains and are perhaps less easy to impress than some of us, but, like... If the cosmic god comes to your house and is asking you, like, "I need you to be my ambassador for human experience," I mean, I would mm-hmm. turn the TV off. That's just respect. That's just respectful. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, so it's it is this sort of like again, it's like this it's the satire of like suburbanites fly over country, but it's really yeah. really broad. Yeah, and insulting to I think humans in general.
0: Um, I think that should be the tagline for for this (laughs) entire series.
1: Yes, insulting to humans in general. Uh, Back at Xavier's, so the X-Mansion, Magneto shows up because Professor X has asked him to lead the X-Men against the Beyonder. Uh, Magneto, at this point in Marvel history, is trying to reform and atone for his past crimes. Um, But understandably, the X-Men are hesitant to trust him because he's tried to kill them so many times. Um, In this issue, and when he's doing a superhero thing... Magneto is not wearing his iconic villain costume. Uh, instead, he's opting for a sort of like a burgundy sleeveless tights with a giant white M, a purple cape, and long opera gloves that give the whole ensemble sort of an evening wear vibe. Um, and it's topped with like a weird pointy haircut. So like the main focal point of the previous costume was this cool like Greco-Roman helmet. The main focal point of the new
0: costume, I guess, is bare shoulders? Yeah, I... I was mo- mostly confused by, like, the, as you said, the quick, quicksilver pointy hair. Yeah. Well.
1: It's, 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 it's really, not his best
0: look. Like, if he, no. if turning good requires him to give up his fashion sense, then maybe it's really not worth it. No.
1: So the X Men have a brief fight about it, but eventually they reluctantly agree to work for Magneto, or Maggie, as Wolverine calls him. Uh, they're, jet is damaged, I guess the Blackbird, but they all pile in a car and Magneto magnetically levitates it to their destination. Despite Magneto's supposed uh, reformation, Colossus points out that their flying car is zipping over toll booths and they're not paying. So, Mm. How good a guy could he be? Uh, Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, a TV cartoon writer is ranting into his phone. He complains to his agent about, among other things, the Pablum the network spy violence, mediocrity, couch potatoes who sit in front of their TVs like mindless zombies. Um, he's also against Reaganomics, which, no matter what else happens in this issue, suggests he's the actual good guy in the story. This man is Stuart Cadwell, who wraps up his argument by saying, I want to show him what it means when a forty five caliber slug rips through your guts. Show him up close the shredding flesh and squirting blood, and of course I'm against violence, you idiot, that's the point. So, if you are coming into this cold... Your first thought is naturally, what, what the hell is this? Um, so this guy, both visually and in attitude, is a parody of Steve, the uh, ex-Marvel writer Steve Gerber, probably most famously known as creator of Howard the Duck. Last episode, we had talked about um, 70s Marvel creators who were used to a lot of editorial freedom and what they wrote, who sort of bristled under Jim Shooter coming in and saying, we're going to tell stories this way and you got to get them approved ahead of time. Gerber was one of those guys who quits... Under that kind of pressure, and later went into work for TV cartoons. Stuart Cadwell's seemingly hypocritical or nonsensical argument about violence um, is actually perhaps a little bit more eloquently summarized by Gerber himself. Uh, his argument is that like the kind of cartoon violence that you see in, say, superhero comics, where two guys can punch each other for pages and pages and basically walk away without, you know, broken bones or hem- you know, cerebral hemorrhaging. Um, he suggests like maybe that's damaging to kids because it suggests there's no consequences to violence and that maybe if we are going to portray violence, we should actually show the effects. Most importantly, what the sequence means is that Jim Shooter will be launching this epic company-wide crossover and is taking a significant chunk of space in the first issue to air his grievances about an ex-employee.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's this is kind of what we... We meant when we said only he could write this, this yeah. series. It's he, going to be <laughs> increasingly idiosyncratic, and he's definitely putting his stamp on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the Beyonder shows up to Stuart Cadwell, looking at the Molecule Man because he hasn't settled on a personal appearance yet. He explains his situation to Stuart, that he's omnipotent but unsure of what to do with his power. Stuart says... Well, if you really want to understand desire, why don't you give me some power and see what I'd do? So he transforms Stuart Cadwell into Thundersword, who looks like sort of a golden mashup of like Thor and like the helmet, but also Iron Man and sort of the outfit. The writing award on his desk is transformed into a giant Thundersword. And if this seems like a pretty random thing, uh, Steve Gerber at the time was writing for Thundar the Barbarian, which was a uh, cartoon character... On NBC, who did in fact wield a thunder sword, and the fact that it was on NBC uh, is going to be important. So, thunder sword uh, summons. Man, it's, that's hard to even say. Thunder sword. It seems wrong. <laughs> thunder sword summons a winged horse named Boromir, which I think is a Lord of the Rings thing.
0: Yes. Yes. I know, I can, I know my stuff. Is it, I can confirm that. You bring the uh, '80s Marvel nerd knowledge and all. <laughs> I'll bring the Lord of the Rings nerd knowledge.
1: Yeah, we could we, 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 we spread the nerdage around. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, So he takes off to settle some
1: scores. Uh, Meanwhile, Magneto, the X-Men, some of the teenage new mutants, are just sort of driving around L.A., looking for any sign of the Beyonder. Uh, Rachel Summers, who is known as the Phoenix at this time, gets a psychic bead of immense power, and they follow the trace to Thundersword, who is being pretty uh, petty in destroying the NBC studios because they make him rewrite his scripts. So the X-Men engage him in battle. Thundersword throws Cannonball of the New Mutants into a McDonald's, and if you think that Thundersword has a problem with fast food as well as television violence, you would be correct. Uh, He wrecks the joint, ends up starting a fire that spreads to surrounding buildings.
0: And also a little subtle detail in an earlier panel. We see his desk was littered with McDonald's wrappers, so we know he's also a hypocrite.
1: You burnt Gerber.
0: So some flaming wreckage
1: is about to fall on a woman and her child, but thankfully Captain America shows up just in time to rescue them. Uh, Thundersword accuses Captain America of representing, among other things, lies, injustice, ready whip, polyester, and so on. Uh, Cap, Dazzler, and Magneto engage him in battle, and Magneto clobbers Thundersword with a bunch of cars, which he's able to brush off.
0: So this was the the part of the story that gave me a little bit of that kind of fun secret wars one feel where you get this team up with dazzler and magneto and cap and captain america which is not something you'd see in a yeah typical marvel story so that was kind of cool mm-hmm. uh rachel meanwhile feels a
1: presence creating psychic disturbance it turns out that it's the beyonder still in disguise as molecule man uh, the Beyonder brings a de- brings out a demon dwelling within Ilyana, the New Mutants, and she panics and opens a portal to escape. So this is, like, already right here, peak 80s marvel, where I'm sitting here going, yes, then the cosmic space god makes a teenager with a secret demon inside her teleport into limbo. Um, and this is all in, like, one panel <laughs> that this happens. So, uh, again, if it seems confusing that a mutant teenager has a demon inside her, we're just going to roll with it. It's not important.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There are a lot of these little moments where I'm just like, okay, I will kind of skip these two panels (laughs) and see what happens next.
1: Uh, So Wolverine sees that the kids of the New Mutants have vanished and assumes that the Beyonder has killed them. So he full-on berserker rages and slashes the Beyonder with his claws. There's some actual blood that we see in the comic, but he's, you know, uh, more than human. So he's pretty unfazed by it. Uh, But the X-Men are pretty spooked by what he's capable of, and one of their uh, friends, who's a teleporter, teleports them away. Uh, This distracts Cap for just a moment, which gives Thundersword the chance to get the drop on him. He accuses Captain America of being a Republican, and is about to deliver the killing blow when Iron Man, who's at this point James Rhodes filling in for Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man shows up to save the day. His censors tell him that the power that Thunder Sword has is in his sword not in Thunder Sword himself so when they separate him from it he turns back into Steve Gerber or Stuart Cadwell uh, so immediately all of his bravado has fallen away uh, he's sort of blubbering and saying that he was temporarily driven insane but he's better now he says I'm a writer see and I've got deadlines scripts do it NBC today I just want to go home and get back to work and wait a minute I destroyed NBC and the animation studio I was working for too, I destroyed the places I worked. Mm-hmm. So, class, who can who can point out the subtle satirical point that Jim Shooter is making in this in this sequence?
0: Ah, uh, I'll have to think about it.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's you know it's an open ended essay question. Mm-hmm. I'll expect it on my desk by
0: Tuesday. Okay. Uh, for me, this raises the question of: Does this mean that NBC? no longer exists in the marvel universe <laughs> after this storyline um i mean I, we got the crossovers with like saturday night live and david letterman yeah in the 80s earlier but there wasn't any kind of must-see tv tie-in that i can recall oh i remember there was
1: a very i think it was in like the early 2000s there was a really terrible tie-in to jay leno Okay. It was like Spider Man. J- it was like a like an insert. It was like Jay Leno and Spider Man solving a crime. Yeah. Um, it's not recommended. <laughs> okay. I don't th- I do know well, that is even even worth us covering. <laughs> you uh, have answered my question. Then yeah. <laughs> I'm satisfied. Um, so anywho, the Beyonder vanishes, and Captain Iron Man takes the former Thunder Sword into custody. Um, little does Captain America know that the Beyonder is following him invisibly. So that's where the first issue ends. Before we move on, I'll say that Steve Gerber apparently saw this and, as Shooter tells it, wrote into Shooter to say that he thought the issue was pretty funny. So either Steve Gerber was a really good sport or he didn't feel particularly owned by this uh, fairly toothless parody of himself.
0: So in the second issue, we start off with the Beyonder standing on top of a building in in Manhattan, and he's decided that in order to fully understand humans, he needs to take human form. And after seeing how people reacted positively to Captain America, he decides to appear as a blonde, buff dude, and uh, he's instead of wearing a Captain America costume. He's wearing an all-white bodysuit at this point. So he doesn't really know how anything works on Earth, which kinda get used to that. (laughs) So he steps off the building, but then starts to plummet and gets this intuition that it's going to end badly. So he turns into energy before he hits the ground. Apparently, in one of the crossover issues, he'd been talking to the previously mentioned X man or X person Rachel Summers who told him about things like eating and told him that maybe he should eat something. So he goes to a hot dog car to try to eat something and he gets a bottle of cream soda and bites into the glass bottleneck. Um, luckily he can heal himself instantaneously so no harm done. And he describes eating as one of the quote intense experiences that humankind undergoes and that he's seeking to understand. Uh, So we kind of get sort of the mission statement for a lot of this. the first few issues, at least here. Uh, Meanwhile, we cut to the Fantastic Four who are holed up in the Avengers' vacant mansion. Again, there's lots of of backstory going on there. Uh, What you need to know right now is that the whole city is in the grip of a wave of... Hatred with violent protests and riots breaking out everywhere. And Mr. Fantastic is trying to figure out why this is happening. I actually have this Secret Wars 2 tie-in.
1: It's part of John Byrne's Fantastic Four run, which I've said before is my favorite comic ever, uh, warts and all. This uh, particular story is controversial for two reasons. Uh, Number one is because it deals with hatred, and so uh, they actually use the N-word and don't censor it. They spell it out. In a code-approved comic, um, it is said like it's a bad thing, and the Human Torch flips out on the guy for saying it. It's not like it's sort of casually banning it out, but um, there is a matter of like, is that a great idea to put in your comic? I'll just I'll just leave the question
0: out there. Right, right. So,
1: Here's a different time,
0: maybe. Yeah, uh, and it was as you mentioned, it was a comics code-approved issue, so yeah, young young kids could be reading it. uh, There was an Uncanny X-Men at the same
1: time that did this as well. Right. right.
0: Going going around. Um, So we then cut to two villains who seem to be behind the whole thing. And those are Hatemonger and his partner, Master Manipulator. Uh, Master Manipulator uses a device to make Hatemonger look like Mr. Fantastic. So he can get close to Mr. Fantastic's wife the invisible woman um none of those uh villains are really that integral to this issue so don't worry too much about the details basically ha- Hatemonger gets close enough to the invisible woman to imbue her with hate energy or something and she turns into kind of an evil dominatrix called malice uh which again any questions that come up about that i'm going to i'm going to voices off on you i will
1: not answer any questions about malice good day
0: <laughs> okay so meanwhile the bi- the beyonder is continuing to explore manhattan among the riots and violence he goes to a store and asks the clerk why are clothes what is the purpose and significance of clothing and why is eating so the clerk is understandably confused Or tells the Beyonder to go ask a friend those kinds of questions. So Beyonder tracks down one of the few people on Earth that he knows, Peter Parker.
1: Yeah, and Peter Parker is on his way home from an assignment from the Daily Bugle. He's apparently snapped some pictures of the big riot that's going on. And he's now going to go home and watch a Muppet special on TV. So just to think about what's going on here, Mr. Great Power and Great Responsibility is not going to try to stop a massive race riot. <laughs> he's like, I took a couple yeah. of pictures. Is Dr. Octopus behind this? Nope. Not really my place here.
0: Yeah, he, he thinks there are good people on both sides. <laughs> um, so the Beyonder starts to follow Peter Parker, who's just um, visiting the Daily Bugle. Parker doesn't know he's the Beyonder yet, and so he's continually ask these weird questions about food and clothing. Parker ignores him, slips away as Spider-Man and then Beyonder follows him to his apartment. Um, at that point, Spider-Man does realize who he is and tells the Beyonder that he can't really answer questions about the meaning of existence because he's just an ordinary guy and he needs someone super smart like Mr. Fantastic. Uh, they do have a few, oh, a few kind of Funny, awkward exchanges like uh, Spider Man offers him a drink of water, and the Beyonder says, Will that relieve this strange pressure, this fullness I feel in my lower abdomen? And Spider Man's like, uh, No, it'll probably make it worse. Sounds like you have to go to the bathroom. And Beyonder says, Explain. Um, so <laughs> yeah. there are a few kind of fish out of water moments that. Do you work in these issues?
1: This is probably the most, I think, like famous scene in Secret Wars 2. It's how I described it to my son when he asked, like, what, what what are you doing this week? And I'm like, it's a comic where Spider-Man teaches an alien how to go to the bathroom.
0: <laughs> like, okay. Great dad. Yeah, so we just hit the high point. Yeah, it's um, all downhill from here. <laughs> Beyonder leaves, and now he's setting out to find Mr. Fantastic Spider-Man kind of realizes what he's done by sending this weirdo out to bother Mr. Fantastic in the middle of all that's going on. So he goes after the Beyonder to catch up to him. Uh, The Fantastic Four, meanwhile, are in the middle of trying to quell the violence that's going on. And the Invisible Woman is no longer evil at this moment, uh, thanks to what's happening in the tie-in comics. Oh geez,
1: so like the uh, so the other controversial thing about this if F F tie-in issue, again not relevant to here, but um, have you ever seen like on the internet there's like an out of context panel of Mister Fantastic slapping uh, the Invisible Woman and saying like Sue shut up? I have not. No, that's one of those things that like goes around like oh yeah, Reed Richards is a jerk. Um, so what happens in here is that, like, Sue has been taken over by the hate, artificial hate energy, and his solution is if I get her to hate me for real, it'll break the spell. So he, like, berates her for a couple of panels and then slaps her and tells her to shut up. Mm. Um, you know, it's supposed to be justified within the logic of the story, but, again, is a good idea. Marvel, I promise if I ever get to write a Fantastic Four project, I will not do a scene where the only way to defeat a supervillain is to hit your wife. That
0: is an yeah. indefensible ink pledge to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not a good look. No. So then we get the Beyonder showing up casually, uh, just kind of strolling into the middle of this melee that's going on. And he asks Mr. Fantastic his question about why is eating the invisible woman captures the hatemonger? But the other guy, the master manipulator, slips away, but not before zapping the hate monger with a ray gun and melting him. The, the, so this guy, is the, the guy who kills the
1: Hatemonger is actually Scourge, who is the supervillain killer. The, um, the pum sound that his gun makes is very distinctive to nerds who remember this original round of <laughs> <laughs> Marvel Comics. Um, again, more mm-hmm. 80s stuff that's nonsense so you don't already know about it. Sorry for wasting everybody's time out there, but you are letting me just point out listening to a podcast about Secret Wars 2.
0: So, kind of um, on you. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Mr. Fantastic hints that he knows who the Master Manipulator is, but his first priority is talking to the Beyonder.
1: Spoiler alert for Fantastic Four number 282, it is Psycho Man. Okay. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, I know, it's like a, it's a tick.
1: It's, it is.
0: So then... The Beyonder and Mr. Fantastic have a little conversation. The Beyonder says uh, the multiplicity and disunity of this universe is confusing Uh, because, like, where he describes his plane of existence as being this place of unity and cohesion and everything. And Mr. Fantastic says the human condition doesn't often fall into neat, orderly patterns. But then Reed Richards eventually decides uh, that he's really not much help to the beyonder he tells them i don't know if i can fully explain the intricacies of our universe to you um this is the guy who just barely slapped his wife a few <laughs> not too long ago so probably... and, it was, and it was a
1: good idea at the time apparently
0: yeah so uh. he's probably doing the right thing here and, and saying he doesn't have all the answers yeah. um the beyonder takes that as an excuse to teleport away still seeking those answers uh we get a little of the aftermath of the whole uh, invisible woman and mr fantastic situation uh so i'm assuming so he she's angry at him because she wants to find the master manipulator guy yeah and he's just kind of sitting there having this chat with the beyonder yeah it's it's implied that she has
1: like some serious like ptsd after this they end up going to the Microverse, which is where Psychoman Man lives. Um, she has some kind of confrontation with him that leaves Psychoman pretty messed up. And this is actually the story where she goes from being the Invisible Girl, which she had been since 1961, to the Invisible Woman.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, it makes slightly more sense now.
1: Yeah, but again, another example of Reed not perhaps being as understanding or not willing to slap his wife as... <laughs> As one, as one would hope in a husband.
0: Yes. So then we follow the Beyonder as he teleports away, And he's still thinking that experience is the best teacher. So he grabs an expensive looking suit from a broken storefront window. And he gets spotted by an elderly homeless woman named Elsie. Um, so she comes up to him and scolds him for stealing the suit and says i know how things got so bad in this world it's because kids don't learn the value of things anymore they take 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 somebody has to pay so they start walking together and uh kind of she's giving him a little bit of advice and telling him how the world works she tells him that money is the root of all evil, but it's also, quote, "what makes the world go round." As they're talking,
1: he's sort of, uh, magically or cosmically tailoring his suit to fit him, um, and like everyone else in this damn story, she is not surprised by any of that. She's like, "Oh yeah,
0: that's a good fit. Maybe you need some shoes. You got some
1: shoes now. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice."
0: Yeah, I and mean, I, I wonder what the threshold is for for people in the Marvel universe for. Yeah. For getting surprised by things. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess you build up a tolerance, right? I guess so, especially in New York City. But <laughs> still, it is, does seem a little, little odd, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two of them go into an alley and get jumped by thugs. One of them is named Charlie Carcrash. And apparently he tried to rob her previously because we get a caption telling us something to that effect that... This was referencing a title called Marvel Fanfare Issue 20.
1: Yeah, apparently it was a, a thing story, but I have not read it. Hmm. Um, Charlie Carcrash says, I like know how all of you bag ladies have thousands stashed away. He wants, he wants her money. Is that like a thing that people thought in the 80s that homeless people in New York City
0: had like thousands and thousands of dollars they were just holding on to? I I guess it was all the the trickle down from the Reaganomics right. <laughs> it's just, you know. which which Thundersword had so foolishly denounced last mm-hmm. issue. Uh yeah, so it's kind of a an excuse for the thugs to jump her in the beyonder. The beyonder actually gets beaten up. Uh they kind of hassle her and leave her alone, but Elsie finds a card for the heroes for hire. In I don't know if it was the shopping bag she was carrying Um, and if you're not familiar with the Heroes for Hire at that time it was uh, a team consisting of Iron Fist and Luke Cage so she says maybe the Beyonders should go get protection from them because they do super heroics for a price as the name implies so the Beyonder goes to visit their Park Avenue office tower he teleports in. Uh, they're not there, but they were there earlier. So he takes them out of the time stream and puts them in the location while he's there.
1: It's sort of weirdly, needlessly complicated. I don't, I don't see why they're not just yeah. why they're not just there.
0: <laughs> yeah, or he could just like teleport them from their current location. But anyway, they understandably are. Uh, thinking he's a threat because of this. So they f- start to fight him. Iron Fist realizes they're uh, not really any match for him and starts to kind of reason with the Beyonder. They talk a little bit about where the Beyonder is from. Iron Fist says, Friend, if you truly come from a place of unity, wholeness, and co- completeness, you already know what we humans dream of and strive to attain. But Luke Cage has a different perspective he's he says something like excuse my partner's zen bull and tells him that money is really what it's all about a lot of problems of the world a result of not having enough money tells him dollars are special because they stand for gold
1: although iron fist quibbles that the u.s is not on the gold standard anymore so i do not know anything about economics so i i guess i'll take iron fist's word for it
0: Yeah, he he's rich. He must yeah, know mean... a lot about money. That's my my reasoning. Mm. Then Spider-Man finally shows up having finally found the beyonder. The beyonder at this point is walking towards the office building that the heroes for hire operate out of. He touches it and it immediately turns to solid gold. And because of this, the building collapses in on itself because of the weight. Um, and then the Beyonder teleports the heroes for hire to their previous time, uh, space, or wherever they were. And we end the issue with Spider-Man standing there alone in front of the building. Yeah, and then the tie-in issues
1: that follow this, it's basically like, how does the U.S. government dispose of a giant golden building? And I think that, so I haven't read these myself, but I think that like the deal is that like, Spider-Man ends up, like, finding, like, a solid gold notebook or whatever from inside the building. Yeah. And, like, debates mm-hmm. about, like, should I hold on to this? Is it right? Um, I think he does the right thing eventually because he's Spider-Man. But Yep. But you won't find out reading this reading this series. Uh, so, issue three has a pretty um, famous cover. you got, like, the Beyonder sort of looming over the Earth, uh, ominously glowing, and it says the Beyonder conquers the world. Um, it implies a much more exciting comic than I am going to take you through right now. So just as I described this, just remember that this is like a huge intra-company crossover. Big cosmic stuff is happening, but we opened it with the Beyonder in his amazing suit, slumped up against the traffic light. Um, being tired is yet another new experience for our guy. Um, A cop tells him to move along to wherever he comes from, and the Beyonder shows him where he comes from, because he opens up a portal to where he's from, and blows the cop's mind 2001 A Space Odyssey style, and he goes off to drink. So that's how we start out. Uh, He encounters a prostitute, and they have the humorous misunderstanding that you would expect this naive spaceman to have with a prostitute. You know, they talk about, like, oh, just, you know, you just need to get some money. And it's like, oh, yes, I know about money. And he causes a gold bar to materialize out of thin air before teleporting to a nearby hotel. Unlike so many other characters who register only this sort of mild, dumb surprise when the Beander does something crazy, uh, this prostitute is appropriately, I think, freaking out and calls her pimp...
0: Chulo. <laughs> I will say at least it is sort of a multi-ethnic <laughs> band of ethnic stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, they. In...
1: Yeah, that's the best you can say, I think. <laughs> yeah. So but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So in the middle of the night, a bunch of small-time hoods uh, break into the Beyonder's room and wake him up. The Beyonder is sleeping on the floor because, ha ha, he doesn't know what a bed is. Yeah. Comedy gold. <laughs> uh, the lead hood who looks sort of not unlike a sleazy Stan Lee in like a pork pie hat he's called Vinny and he asks the Beyonder what his story is the Beyonder goes ahead and recaps Secret Wars again and then the last two issues uh Vinny obviously has plans to exploit this dear sweet boy who he randomly calls Frank for no reason that seems clear um and he leaves the prostitute whose name is uh it's either Toots or Toots I'm gonna assume it's Toots uh leaves the prostitute Toots with him uh, the next day, Vinny takes him out to lunch, and he and Toots show him how to eat actual food and not just glass. Um, in, in a very wholesome scene, we see him really enjoying the experience of eating, and he's like eating a whole bunch of ice cream with like a sort of childlike joy. In a less wholesome scene, uh, Vinny sends a bunch more prostitutes to the Beyonder because he needs experience, and he jokes to, the, uh, to Toots like, you're not getting jealous, are you? uh, beyond starts doing jobs for Vinny. Uh, he starts, you know, and at this, there's a whole bunch of like short scenes where he's shaking down some rivals. He's, uh, curing his prostitutes of diseases, uh, making some gold, curing his son's dyslexia and making his wife younger and thinner, uh, helping him win at gambling and moving a big cocaine shipment. So
0: it's a mixed bag.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, You know, the curing somebody's dyslexia seems like a worthy thing. The cocaine, perhaps less so. So the Beyonder turns out to really enjoy 80s consumer culture. And he talks about needing tapes for his VCR and batteries for his Walkman and vegetables for his Cuisinart. The most endearing character trait that the Beyonder has in this series is that he really enjoys chopping up vegetables in a Cuisinart. It happens multiple times. Mm -hmm. Multiple issues. Uh, Then he goes out and gets Jerry Carl, And starts wearing giant shoulder-padded Michael Jackson-esque suits. He'll wear various, what look today to be terrible Um, suits—just terrible, big, baggy, shapeless, amorphous, one-color jumpsuits—throughout the series. So the tone of this, like, if you—if it seems weird that this is in a superhero comic, it does seem very much like a sort of like an '80s John Landis-like fish-out-of-water comedy. You know, like Mm -hmm. the abs when like in the absence of superheroes, you can almost see this being like a standalone movie about an alien lands in New York city and like some people take advantage of him.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like Jim shooter had a spec script. Yeah. Like (laughs) lying around for like a studio comedy. He's like, "Eh, I guess I'll just set it in the Marvel universe.
1: Maybe the fantastic four could show up one time. And Mm -hmm. uh, so he meets up with toots and they have a brief conversation. He says some nice things to her and uh, she is in love with him. If you did not see this coming. but uh yeah. what i did not see coming is that next vinny actually tells the beyonder to go out on his own because he's destined for bigger things so like it's he's like a you know a sort of local hood but like he's got like a he says like he knows his limits and he's got like a he seems to have like a heart of gold mm-hmm. i guess yeah. but there's it's a seem- the
0: emotional core of the <laughs> of the issue <laughs> the relationship
1: between this low level mobster and his adopted son Um, But there's a scene where his destined for bigger things becomes literal because uh, the Beyonder goes out and gets a yacht and he gets some floozies and he is... Have you seen that episode of Futurama where Bender becomes a human and the experience of being able to, like, taste food and smoke cigars and stuff is so appealing that he just becomes, like, enormously fat? Yeah, yeah. That literally happens here here too. Except Mm -hmm. that the Beyonder... Determines that the ladies do not like him as much this way, and so he restores himself to his, uh, you know, muscular six pack.
0: Yeah, and we've kind of gone over this part at least pretty quickly, but there is a lot of time spent on him, like, living the good life that organized crime brings.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I definitely see this being, like, the second act of a movie. But the effect of this in a Marvel comic is that, like, the message of this issue seems to be organized crime is like really lucrative. Like it's, it's it becomes quite aspirational. If, yeah. I, if I was a kid in 1985, reading this for the first time, I would be like running cocaine for this guy seems great. Why haven't I, Yeah. why doesn't my dad do this?
0: That's like, we're getting the first two thirds of a Scorsese movie. <laughs> right. So,
1: uh, the beyonder, because again, he's destined for bigger things and he's trying to like, move, you know, move up in the world. He goes to see the Kingpin, who is the first, you know, outside of flashbacks, the first, like, Marvel superhero, supervillain character that we've actually really seen in this issue. Um, He manipulates the the Kingpin to make him swear allegiance to the Beyonder. It's no problem at all. It just happens. Uh, Then he does the same to Ronald Reagan. Then all the countries of the world, and then animals, and amoeba, and rocks, and water, and molecules, and atoms. He takes over the entire planet on, like, a atomic level except for the molecule man who is somehow immune probably because he has his own molecular control powers Um, he realizes that his girlfriend Marsha is under some unseen influence and frees her and as much as we've been sort of ragging on the hacky jokes there is a good line that says and so the only unenthralled beings in the world return their, tele- their attention to TV reruns of their own free will mm. But again, yep. perhaps, insulting, perhaps insulting of most people. Uh, we see all the various superheroes and supervillains sort of bowing down to the Beyonder, worshipping him. So he's one at this point. Everything's sort of satisfactory until he talks to a, a woman called Circuit Breaker, who is covered in these sort of cybernetic implants. Uh, she says that she really hates robots because they're unliving automatons. And this gets the Beyonder to realize that he isn't happy ruling a world of fanatical of devotion where people don't have their own free will. And he releases his control on the world. So the Circuit Breaker character comes out of nowhere and is very important. The interesting thing about her is that uh, when she talks about, like, hating robots because she had a really, you know, bad experience with robots, she's talking about the Transformers. <laughs> because the transform like Transformers were sort of semi in continuity for a little bit in the Marvel Universe... Spider-Man appeared in the early issue.
0: That was the most surprising uh, yeah. detail of this story for me. I was, I mean, I knew Marvel had the license to Transformers, but I, it was as if you know, Strawberry Shortcake or whatever right. had <laughs> appeared from one of their licensed comics. Well, it's, just, it just broke my brain.
1: It's sort of funny because like, ROM was like a big deal in the '80s, and that was a licensed comic, and like Godzilla mm-hmm. was also technically when they had the license, like in the Marvel universe for like a year or two. So Marvel used to sort of adopt their, you know, their stuff into the continuity and like Conan mm-hmm. fought. And he's now that Marvel has the rights to Conan again, he's joining some kind of Avengers team. So they do do that mm-hmm. from time to time, but they sort of stopped doing with transformers. I think because the whole like giant robots fighting became like too much for them to, to take on, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess I have heard that the reason that she appears in this comic is solely so that um, she doesn't appear in the cartoons of the toy line. She's an original character from the Transformers comic books. And so I think this was like meant to secure the copyright as being part of Marvel and not Hasbro <laughs> or whatever. But So not only do I have long and involved continuity notes, but I also have long and involved legal notes. Uh, so the Beyonder is, has freed everyone and he goes to see Toots. Uh, she's revealed that she has quit being a prostitute and is now a waitress. Um, this traffics in some sort of uncool stereotypes. Um, so she's grateful to him for turning her life around, I guess. Um, but, however politically you agree or do not agree with this scene, the Beyonder is pretty pleased that he seems to have had a positive effect and determines that gratitude is better than conquest. And so he goes to goes to join the Avengers because he knows the Avengers from Secret Wars 1. Um, he has an outing with them in a tie-in that doesn't go well, but that we don't see and gives up the idea. I guess what happens in the issue is that he lets uh, the supervillain Nebula get away. Um, instead Beyonder's sort of out of ideas. So he decides to get a lawyer. There's something about maybe gambling too. Um, the lawyer is setting up a crossover with daredevil, which we also will not see in secret wars too. So come back next time for something completely different.
0: So in our fourth issue of Secret Wars 2, uh, we open on a close-up of the Beyonder Kissing a Woman described as an heiress, actress, jet set, socialite, internationally renowned beauty. The title of the issue is Love is the Answer. So you get a sense of the potential theme. <laughs> she uh, she tells him she's in love with him, just like Toots before her but he still clearly has no understanding of human emotional cues tells her he probably will never see her again and leaves Um, so he takes off hops in his car which he makes into a flying car so he can avoid traffic and he's talking into a tape recorder as he's flying because he's still doing these quote experiments to try to figure out desire which he describes as the seeming basis of, quote, most of the activity going on in the universe. So we get a few panels of him reflecting on the desires of different Marvel personalities at the time. Um, so we get a Thor villain and a Silver... Uh, we get the Silver Surfer, Benjamin Grimm, and Captain America. Uh, the description of Benjamin Grimm, the Thing, is a little weird. It says, Beyonder is thinking... Then there's Benjamin Grimm, also known as the Thing, whose desires are confusing as well as unusual. <laughs> and there's an editor's note that says, "As readers of the Thing should know," which makes me wonder if his solo title at this time was like a series of erotic adventures or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was like it was very much like uh, like an Italian art film. I, I, it, yeah. it, sh- it should be it should be pointed out that the Thing previously starred in a series called Marvel Two in
0: One. So um, okay, well, I'll just leave that there. Yeah. Uh, but do you know what that you <laughs> what know that confusing and I don't and unusual desires? I'm trying.
1: References? I'm trying to think of what it is because I wasn't reading the Thing solo series. I think part of the thing is that he he stayed behind on Battle World after the first Secret War is because I think he could change back and forth to to Ben and Ben Grimm and the Thing there. And there's okay. like some confusion with at this time like Alicia Masters, who was his girlfriend, and he's sort of leaving her behind. But yeah, it okay. really it really does make it just sound like he's <laughs> he's got some kind of he's got some kinks that he's working out.
0: Um, yeah. So we we also get a glimpse into the Beyonder's take on uh, President <laughs> Ronald Reagan at the time. He says. United States President Ronald Reagan desires tax reform a certain way, which is more of the cutting-edge satire. Yes, uh, from Jim Shooter. Uh, also, the we'll talk more about the artwork, but the Reagan likeness particularly stands out as not very good. It's it looks like a melting wax Johnny Cash, basically.
1: I thought you said this wasn't a good.
0: <laughs> could like this of a travel <laughs> uh, uh, yeah <laughs> I guess that that does matter <laughs> um so we we then get the beyonder uh, he's flying over he gets spotted by some more uh, by some military aircraft pilots and we get some more reactions to the flying car more uh, misunderstandings it's it's quite staggering reading this thing just page
1: after page of like it's hijinks
0: mm-hmm. there's
1: no there's almost no superhero action it's all hijinks
0: yeah yeah and it's and it's drawn out and kind of repeated to the breaking point in these in the first half at least maybe in the next half of the series it'll it'll improve a lot god willing <laughs> uh So then Beyonder decides to go visit his friends Molecule Man and Volcana again. Uh, He goes to Molecule Man and basically says, you know, I want to know what love is. Um, And so he asks Molecule Man because he and Volcana seem to have a good relationship. And Molecule Man gives him some advice. He says uh, he's, he's pretty much had his life turned around since he fell in with Marsha, and he says, Love is always good, but it's nice when it's mutual. It can make you so happy, and the more you give, the more you have to give. But just remember, Beyonder, love is only good if it's real. No cost, no obligation. And that will be a plot point later on in the issue. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I mean, Molecule Man, is he's got it figured out. Yeah, he's, he's really gone through some
1: personal growth since... That time he tried to take over the world is the molecule man. Yeah. And that
0: other time that he tried to take over the world is the molecule man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's in a good place. Mm-hmm. So beyonder teleports back to the heiress that he was uh romancing earlier <laughs> in the issue, only to find that she's committed suicide due to his leaving her. So he brings her back to life and asks her why she loves him yeah it's a really the the tonal whiplash that you get in this series
1: is like it's page after page of like oh i'm having like a wacky you know wacky misunderstanding with the air force and i'm gonna get in their plane and they Mm -hmm. can get in my car and then it's like oh she's killed herself but then but it's it's no big deal it's not it's not even like oh i now stuff gets serious it's like nope i'm gonna undo this And it's back to to hijinks.
0: So then when when he asks her, why do you love me? She says, because of what you do for me, what you do to me. And Beyonder thinks, ah, a business deal. I want to experience real love. So he's looking for something that's not transactional. And so he, in front of his lover here, he projects an image of people he thinks he might find love with. First of all, she freaks out when he includes images of men amongst the numbers, Uh, but he's pretty chill about it. He's like, I have no innate gender, so why not? Um, But then he decides he's going to stay male because that's how he first took form on earth and narrows it down only to women at that point. Yeah, it's I mean it's I suppose
1: progressive enough for like nineteen eighty five that like yeah, mm-hmm. you know, space energy being not necessarily any reason for it to be male or female. Um, mm-hmm. my headcanon is that um we saw in the last issue that Vinny was basically sending wave after wave of female uh prostitutes over to him. So he's like, you know what, this is mm-hmm. what I'm com- this is what I'm comfortable with so far, I don't wanna to have to learn a whole bunch of new bunch of new
0: techniques. So then he chooses out of all the women in the entire world, he decides that he's going to try to find love with Dazzler, um, an X-Men character, uh, pretty prominent, maybe most prominent during the 80s. And so Beyonder's lover reacts to this and says, her, why her? I'm as pretty as she is. What's wrong with me? And then Beyonder says, your love is not real. You bargain it away in return for how I make you feel. I only considered women whose love cannot be bought at any price. Uh, and then he says, she stood out among them because she is also a mutant, perhaps the most powerful ever to walk this planet. That intrigues me as well. That is a surprise. <laughs> like, mm-hmm.
1: there, was a, there was a big sort of a big push behind Dazzler at the time, and she had her own series at this point and they're trying to talk her up but like the most powerful that's a that's a bold statement in the Marvel Universe like I Mm -hmm. could probably find you some Marvel trading cards from the 90s where they had like the stats in the back about like strength and energy projection and stuff and like I bet that I bet that she's not like above like Magneto or like like Storm you know
0: yeah she's she's hardly approaching a mega level mutant (laughs) it's not about you Jonathan Hickman I may have put on my <laughs> X Men nerd attire. Made my uh, antennae go up as well. <laughs> um, so he's got his mind set on Dazzler, and so his first move is to just teleport Dazzler to a glass domed room on what looks like a floating asteroid in outer space. He explains to her who he is and what he is, why he's come to Earth, how he wants to experience what we earthlings call love and dazzler is understandably freaked out uh but also trying not to escalate things and so she's she says to him oh so suddenly it's valentine's day and i'm elected huh do i get any say in this and beyond says of course and dazzler says that's nice i'd like to know i'd like to get to know someone before i mean love isn't something that you can rush so it's just this weird dynamic where she's like probably worried about this super powerful crazy being and has to you know protect his feelings at the same time out of concern um so it's already icky yeah and he keeps teleporting her into quote romantic situations uh not not that were i I mean i'm not saying that jim shooter thinks these are romantic but like they're the beyonders ideas of this romantic the stereotypes yeah, yeah. So he's he's taking her to a handsome cab ride through uh, presumably Central Park, a cafe in Paris, top of a mountain. Uh, slowly, she starts getting charmed by him, and he's got endless resources so she can record her music with live music- musicians that he keeps employed for her.
1: And it's uh, it's very important to the Beyond that his woman's love not be bought at any price so he offers her expensive getaways uh private recording studio time session musicians i mean it's i'm getting a mixed signal from the beginning here i have i have to tell
0: you it is confusing and we'll talk a little bit more about this at the end (laughs) of the issue as to like what is what's a test or what is her decision um but then we get another one of those moments at setting up a tie-in where Beyonder visit, visits a shopping mall in Edmonton, Canada to basically encounter the Canadian team Alpha Flight. And he encounters the member named Shaman, who has a medicine pouch that is mystical. And he grabs a gold ring out of the pouch after inflating it. Uh, so presumably to give to Dazzler, as we'll see momentarily. But doesn't really make sense beyond just kind of setting up this tie-in because it's making me wonder why this one particular ring, why doesn't he just make one?
1: I mean, I I was not an Alpha Flight reader, but I'm not sure that Shaman is known for having these, like, boss rings in his uh, medicine bag. He does, um, incidentally, apparently uh, Shaman's daughter has been trapped inside the mystical medicine pouch. And so mm-hmm. uh, the Beyonder, like, enlarges it so that she can get out. And so he's not all bad?
0: Question mark? Yeah, He occasionally, accidentally right. does positive things.
1: I mean, I can't imagine that he went into this encounter thinking, like, oh, as long as I'm here, his daughter is trapped in this in this magical pouch. It's too mm-hmm. small for her to get through. But, you know, he sort of blunders into doing the right thing
0: now and again. Mm-hmm. That's our Beyonder. <laughs> uh, but he brings Dazzler the ring. But at this point, she's had enough of him. She says, honestly, I'm not afraid of you anymore, but I don't want trips and presents and things so easily. I've got a life to live, and I want to get back to it. So there's what seems like
1: pretty reasonable defiance, but it's almost immediately walked back. because It's like, yesterday was really beautiful. Beautiful beyond words. I get chills just thinking about it. And I know I could very easily just lose myself in you. Gross. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the, a recurring theme in this seems to be that, like, all women think that the Beyonder is hot and would give their entire lives over to him.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: eventually they figure out that it's a bad idea because but it's like, but the, the rationale is, all, is
0: always, always like, well, I'm not good enough. Right, right. And this was at a time when uh, Dazzler was in the X Men books. I think around this time she was being written really well as a complex and interesting character. So it was that much more galling. Mm-hmm. So then the the Avengers show up uh, out of nowhere, pretty much. And they say the Beyonder is too dangerous to roam free. And it seems like they're straight up planning on killing him, which seems out of character. Uh, they attack. Beyonder fends them off, but they manage to to kind of take him off guard to the point where they have a chance to kill him. But at that point, Dazzler intervenes and prevents them from killing Beyonder, and he teleports her and him away. So it turns out they weren't actually really the Avengers. Beyonder staged the whole thing just to see if Dazzler really cared about him, uh, which... Since he can read everyone's thoughts and desires at all times, seems like an exercise in pointlessness.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, it's just so we can have a, an actual superhero fight in the superhero comic, even if it isn't real. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I will I will say that although the Beyonder's constant gaslighting is just monstrous, um, it was a good swerve. It, it fooled me, actually, because... I did notice some things that seemed off with the Avengers in the fight because, like, the Avengers were, like, seemed like they were willing to kill, which they usually aren't, and the Wasp was mm-hmm. being, like, extra sort of, you know, flirty, like, oh, he's such a good-looking guy. I hate to mess up his hair. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like, Captain Marvel, the second Captain, or, yeah, second Captain Marvel, throws this, like, huge EMP blast at him that he just shrugs off, but, like, Wasp's little bio blast, he's going, ow, 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 ow. ow. So, like I thought like oh this mm-hmm. is this is like really weirdly written like this is a poorly conceived fight but then looking back on it, I'm like maybe this was maybe they beat, <laughs> maybe jim shooter didn't write a bad scene maybe the beyond wrote a bad scene
0: yeah yeah I was I was also kind of taken aback by the the seeming like intent to to kill him so it was, it was yeah, I think a pretty good move there yeah I'll, um
1: I'll, I'll I'll I will golf clap this scene
0: and it, it does give us like you said that little bit of superhero action uh you know we're like four issues in and <laughs> it's secret wars and not <laughs> much in the way of war so far but... there's,
1: there's been some public scuffling
0: but not <laughs> not,
1: not really a secret war
0: <laughs> public scuffling should <laughs> be the the uh the title <laughs> um so dazzler still Understandably, doesn't feel they can be in love, uh, but sh- her reasoning is she's a quote tiny speck of protoplasm compared to this great cosmic force. Not to mention that he's an enormous creep, but she does, she doesn't seem
1: too con- she doesn't seem too concerned about that right now. So
0: yeah, so his solution is to divide his power in half and give half of it to her. Um, she is freaked out at this, realizes then she definitely doesn't love him and gives him back his power uh, and almost almost plunges to her death during this process well actually she does plunge her to death but then he brings her back to life um, as we had been seeing him do previously at this point she confesses her love to him and says they should get married but it turns out it's Beyonder manipulating her to say the things he wanted her to say and he decides he can't continue it because it isn't real and releases her mind. So that's the end of this
1: beautiful love story between the Beyonder and the Dazzler um, so mm-hmm. I so one thing I wanted to bring up was so again like I mentioned like she is not totally falling for the Beyonder but she, she it almost seems like she sort of is despite herself
0: you know, it's mm-hmm. it's always just like,
1: well, oh, you know, like it's it's a really you know, we a really wonderful time, I just not sure that I could keep up with you. To what degree do you think he was controlling her the entire time? Or is she playing KG to sort of avoid his you know, his cosmic wrath? wrath? Or is it just that like, yeah, she's you know, this is a one dimensional female character who thinks that a uh... a guy with a jerry curl and a and an ill fitting fitting jumpsuit is like really where it's at.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I like, I think I like to give Shooter the benefit of the the doubt here and, mm-hmm. and say that it was um, that like all along she had these the feelings that she's not in love with him, um, but it's really hard to to tell from the the panels themselves. Yeah, um, which is probably something that. That makes it, you know, not the most effective plot device if it's if that's true.
1: Uh, so I think that's where we'll stop for today. Um, it is a nine-issue series, so we thought we would break this into two pieces. We will give our final thoughts next time once the whole thing is done, but you can probably sort of figure out where we're leaning on this on this particular subject um, one thing I did want to talk to talk about right now um, is the art it's Alan Milgram and Steve leia Loa so one thing that I, I noticed and you, and you had mentioned this earlier about how it's the shooter thing of like he wants a lot of like medium shots he doesn't want you know mm-hmm. any dramatic angles that could be misinterpreted um, I'm also guessing that this this Art was probably pretty rushed because if Secret Wars one was late because he was rewriting stuff, and that was mm-hmm. just you would punch that guy and you punch that guy. Um, he's actually trying to have like a philosophical inquiry into the nature of existence. It probably took him like a little bit longer, mm-hmm. but yeah. What do you think? Of, what do you think of the art? Uh,
0: it was. I was definitely thinking about the delayed deadlines the whole time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, a lot of it is very very sketchy. Like we get. Faces that are pretty much like a few quick uh, dots and, and lines, and it just looks really unfinished.
1: Yeah, and I, I guess part of the thought is that, I mean, this is going to sell huge no matter what's you know who's who's doing it. So um, and this is not to put down Alan Milgram because Al Milgram mm-hmm. is like a veteran, like dude of my era era of Marvel comics. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, and another thing is that. Um, so I, usually I read these things on either. I try to get the original like newsprint issues or like Mm -hmm. a trade paperback, you know, on like a nice, you know, matte paper. Um, I think that this art was really not meant to be. So this one I actually got on comiXology and read it, you know, on the perfectly white, you know, background paper and the perfectly vivid colors. Mm -hmm. I think that like, it's really not art that was ever intended to be seen at this kind of high resolution
0: yeah yeah it's something that i I noticed too because I was reading it uh with the guided view feature mm-hmm. where you zoom in on each panel and I mean that's that in itself is kind of testing the limits of pretty much a lot of comics um, from earlier ages, but it definitely brings out the the flaws in a way that um you know maybe point to that that rush.
1: Yeah and like I've I've seen like if I look you know I've looked online and like at other things and you can see like actual scans from you know a printed comic book of secret wars 2 and it's funny but like actually like I think the newsprint and sort of the muddier coloring and stuff actually kind of forgives a lot of like the like the sketchiness in particular mm-hmm. I think it kind of bleeds into the into the newsprint and and that is that's why I like yeah. these the look of these old comics is because a lot of these things don't look as good when you put
0: them on the, the glossy paper and perfect definition right yeah it's I I definitely go back and forth about guided view and reading comics that way versus kind of looking at them page by page and just um, you know letting my eyes flow naturally
1: mm-hmm. so we will pick up Secret Wars two next time. Hopefully there will be more action and less 80s Eddie Murphy movie-style hijinks. Mm -hmm. But uh, why don't we get into some uh, recommendations?
0: So if you're looking for a giant crossover uh, that I think mostly delivers, I actually went back and reread it maybe three or four years ago, and I was surprised at how well it holds up. Uh, There was a crossover from the 90s, a famous one called Age of Apocalypse. And this was based around the idea of Professor Xavier's son travels back in time to try to prevent Magneto from gaining power and uh, tries to kill Magneto, but he accidentally kills Professor Xavier. So the X-Men aren't formed under his tutelage, and then the X-Men villain Apocalypse rises to power and basically takes over the entire planet. And he uh, and Magneto ends up founding basically the X-Men to combat uh, Apocalypse. And so this was a huge event. It's, it incorporates a lot of different titles. Uh, you have two one-shot issues that start and end the series. Um, but you're looking at X-Men Alpha is the start of the series and then there are a bunch of tie-in titles like Excalibur uh, spelled X and then Caliber, <laughs> C-A-L-I-B-R-E um, and then you've got Gambit and the Externals, Generation Next Astonishing X-Men, Amazing X-Men bunch of different titles uh, you can read them all on Marvel Unlimited really cheaply so that, and they're all in order there, which was huge. So that's pretty great. Um, the things that I, that kind of stand out for me, you get a lot of familiar characters in new roles, so people who were villainous before or maybe antiheroes now. Uh, some heroes are outright villainous. All the characters get cool, dark, futuresque designs. And this was kind of before the dark future thing felt like it was done to death in X-Men stories as well. Uh, Then, just generally, the thing that stood out to me when I read it this time was each of these series basically have climaxes and endings, which is something you don't really get in comics, any kind of definitive ending. Um, So definitely check out 1995 to 96s. Age of Apocalypse, and uh, you will hopefully not be disappointed.
1: And so for uh, my related recommend- recommendation, uh, I thought, because we've been poking some gentle fun at Jim Shooter, that I actually sh- I would share something that I actually that Jim Shooter wrote that I actually very much enjoy. Um, this is a, kind of a deep cut. This is Avengers number 214 from December 1981. So it's basically, it's a uh, the Avengers versus the original Ghost Rider. And I love the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, where the 90s ghostwriter, uh Dan Ketch, was more of a straightforward sort of supernatural punisher of evildoers. Um by the 80s, Ghost Rider was kind of like a wild card, sort of not unlike the Hulk, where um when there's trouble, Blaze would be compelled to let the demon out and take care of it, and sometimes the ghostwriter would stop the bad guys and sometimes he would burn down the circus where he worked just because he's an evil demon, and that mm-hmm. sounds like fun for him. So that I was, I always thought that character was cool, and I really enjoy seeing him um, around this time when he pops up on other things. Um, in this issue, he's fallen. Johnny Blaze has fallen on hard times and is feeling pretty bad about himself, so he sort of like lapses in his responsibility, and lets the demon out, and uh, he starts to cause havoc, which the Avengers are sort of called in to take care of. So that's pretty cool because it's sort of the shared universe logic of like, oh yeah, the Avengers probably should do something about this rampaging motorcycle demon. Um, It involves the connection between Ghost Rider and Angel of the X-Men, who they were in the Champions together from the 70s, which is my favorite obscure failed superhero team. Um, uh, It's very bombastic in its storytelling. I mean, there's not a whole lot of subtlety to the characterization, um, but it works a little better here than in secret wars 2 because this isn't the philosophical meditation on life this is you know thor versus a rampaging motorcycle demon um but there is like a sort of a neat scene with like some subtext that's like where thor is like says to ghost rider you know you're just a magical creature you're not a real demon from hell and ghost rider sort of calls him out on being a hypocrite because like you're Th- you thor you let people think that you are a god and worship you back in the old days so let's not sort of cast aspersions um, so yeah, I mean it's it's just a you know it's what they call meat and potato superhero comics. There's not a whole lot that you get out of it as far as you know rising and advancing your spirit, but hell of a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> um, and that is that is that is available on Comicsology and all the usual uh, suspects. Yeah, I think that will do it for us for this week. Um, again, come back uh, in two weeks for the second half of Secret Wars two. Does it pick up? You'll find out. I'm so hopeful. Will, so will we. <laughs> I've actually, I don't know, if you, I've actually not read the second half yet. So I am going into this. I will be going into this blind. Me too. Um, so uh, for us, we are on Twitter. We're on Instagram at Indefensible Inc. We're on Facebook. Check us out on the link that's on all of those places. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. Leave comments. Email us at indefensibleinc at gmail.com. For Indefensible Inc., I have been Justin Zydock.
0: And I have been Ryan McClure.
1: And have a good night.
0: Good night.